Oh my goodness. It's already been a morning. Kidmo kids, you can go. They're ready. You all can go on. All right. Oh, I'm just so thankful um, for our church family and to be in a community. Um, I'm thankful for testimonies that get interrupt that interrupt the service. Those are beautiful and more important than anything I'm about to say. And uh, so it's interesting is um, I I had a different Mother's Day video and then as we were going through rehearsal I was like this doesn't fit this doesn't fit I'm going to change it it change we need a different tone and then just our time of prayer and and praise gosh just confirms I, God just wants to do something here today. Um, even my sermons, I'm prepared a little differently today, so uh, we'll see what's about to happen. But I'm committed to not keeping you late, because I know you all have Mother's Day stuff. I am thankful for moms. I'm thankful for my mom. I think she might be watching. Um, she, she and my dad are, are homesick as well, and so um, they sometimes join in. And then if I say something, if I give any stories I'm not supposed to tell, she calls me and tells me, why did you tell that? You know, so... Um, I, get, I have lots of accountability um, at home, both for my mother and my kids. Um, so anyways, uh, so here's what I want to do today. I want to I piggyback on what Tracy shared some of last week, and then I want us to move into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's been interesting, both for Easter and for Mother's Day, I really debated, I think the, that day needs a different topic. But as we fell, um, each passage that we fell on for those days, I was like, no, that's, this just so fits. Um, this just so fits. And the reality is, is the Sermon on the Mount is like that. It's like, we, this would also fit for Father's Day. And this would also fit for July 4th or for Christmas. I, I mean, just about any of these passages, because Jesus is not giving another list of another list of another list. He's, he's giving us... Um, thought-provoking ways to engage with him and scripture that make us really rethink everything. All of life we have to rethink. And so as as we do that and as we come to this, um, so many of these passages, we could, it, if, if we were going to do something just holiday-specific, they still fit. Um, no matter what you're going through, it still fits. And that's just the way Jesus taught. He was so good at that. He just he inspired and provoked us. So when you read Scripture, if you read Scripture just to absorb, uh, Scripture is given to us to provoke. So we absorb, but in absorbing, we lock it away to constantly provoke us. So we have to come to it and think about it and pray about it and wonder about it. And, you know, what does this mean for us? So um, that's kind of where we are, and we're coming to this passage on watch for wolves and sheep's clothing, and we, it's easy to read through this. As Tracy mentioned, as I've mentioned several times, the lullaby effect of, I've read this, I know this, done deal, got it, be careful, but Jesus didn't teach that way, like you get it one time. It's, it's something that you have to come back to, and you have to come back to over and over and over again. And then you have to sit and let it absorb. And many of these stories we learned at a time in childhood where we just got the basics of the plot, right? Got the plot, got how that works. But he invites us to go deeper and to understand how this relates to us. And as we look through all of this, we have to remember Jesus is not starting something new in, in many ways, he's finishing, 
what has already been started, and insomuch so that when he would breathe his last, he would say, it is finished. He was finishing the story, not telling a new story. And that new, or that story that he's been telling is one of us being made in the image of God, us allowing sin to come in and contaminate us and the world and our lives and our marriages and our relationships and all the things that we do. It comes in and contaminates us, but God has been consistently faithful to say, I have a solution for this problem and I'm going to be faithful to bring you to that place. That story has been told from Genesis chapter 1 through the end of Revelation, and it's told right here in Matthew chapter 7 as he's trying to help us see there's a bigger story of Scripture. So this is where we've been so far. I've kind of broken it up um, into kind of groupings, although I don't think Jesus would have broken it up into these groupings. Um, next slide, Jonathan, is kind of where we've been so far in this series. I told Tracy, I think you could literally um, spend the entire time last week just going back through and understanding the golden rule through each of the places Jesus has already spoken because this is a continuing thought. These are not separate thoughts. This is a continuing thought. So we started with the yoke where Jesus says, my yoke or my teachings are easy. My burden is light. Now, he, he Tracy finished last week with, but the way is hard. And so we have this conflict between the hard way and the easy yoke. And I want to spend a little time talking about that today. Then we went to the Beatitudes, where it's less attitudes to be as much as if you are these attitudes, the kingdom is yours. So at times, uh, we make it about effort when Jesus is about heart. And it may be that you don't feel like you're doing well or that you are succeeding in this journey that you're on, but Jesus would go on to say, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. If you've broken relationships because you love Jesus and and your friends don't like that, the kingdom is yours. If you're sitting here and you're not the biggest mouth in the room and you're not the most, um, you know, absorbing presence in the room and, and really you're just someone who's kind of back in the corner just trying to know Jesus, the kingdom is yours. Doesn't mean that the loud people in the room, the kingdom is not theirs too. But if that's you and you just feel like you don't fit, guess what? The kingdom is yours because the kingdom doesn't fit in this world either. One day it will. One day this kingdom will completely replace the world. But for now, the kingdom doesn't really fit. We went on to salt and light and that this way of us living life, this is a way. This is not just, these aren't precepts. These aren't do's and don'ts. This is a way of living life. And when we do that, we bring salt and light to the world. And Don did a great job talking about just the reality that light repels the darkness, and salt prepares the ground to receive the gospel. And that's how we live. We live in such a way that prepares people to know Jesus. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not telling you a new story. and I'm not ending the old story. I'm not saying all the things you've done from the time of Moses to today don't matter. I'm showing you what it would have looked like had you actually understood it and could live it out. I'm showing you that now in, in my person. We went on to then some relationship issues. Anger, right? It's so easy to be angry. Anger usually starts with the emotion of hurt. And he's saying, as followers of Jesus, we recognize that we're looking at people and there's something going on in their lives and we're not supposed to be angry with each other. We're supposed to love each other. We've got to deal with what's going on within us and lust, the idea that you only exist 
for me to consume. You only exist for my pleasure. The only reason you're here is to give me what I want. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is always others before self. And then marriage and divorce. The whole idea, do we even get what marriage is? So divorce is not so much just divorce as much as it is what happens when we end a marriage or when should we end a marriage I'm not going to rehash that. If you want to go back and listen to any of those, you can. They're on our website. We went to oaths and authenticity. This kingdom idea, if we're going to live this way, you have to live in such an authentic way that you don't have to bolster up who you are by claiming that God's on your side. You simply know God and you follow Jesus, and that is enough. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Don't take God's name and to plan it on whatever you're trying to convince somebody else to do. Because we can't speak for God. God, God speaks for himself. Uh, John did a great job on the open hand. Uh, the difference between us holding people accountable to the place where we're angry with them and we want, you know, we want to hurt them, but instead having the open hand. Worry? Be like, all, be like the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Stop and consider. Just stop and listen. Stop and look. Stop and smell. Things are going to be okay. God is at work. Don't judge, which is also one that's often taken out of context. And the idea of don't judge is simply this. This kingdom that we're talking about, this kingdom that comes in, you are as guilty as the person you want to judge. Recognize that. It does not mean we don't hold each other accountable. But this kingdom, it's, it's for messed up people. And so don't claim that you're not one of them. Because if you're not one of those people, the kingdom's not for you. So recognize your own problems. It doesn't mean we don't point out the problems of others, but there is a difference between someone who says, I want something for you, and someone who wants to say, I see you did something wrong and I want you to know it, and everybody else. There's a difference. And if you're not sure what that difference is, this is where you need to be provoked to consider and to think and to be moved by this. We moved into ask and receive. Is that really what Jesus is saying? Because if so, either he's not trustworthy or we're doing it wrong because how many of us have prayed for things earnestly and those prayers have not been answered? How, how does that work? And what we've looked at is in this whole idea of kingdom, there is a bigger story being told. And when we get on with that story, when we ask for God to fulfill that which he's been working from the beginning, he not only will, he already has in many ways. It, he also wants us to come to him. He doesn't give a qualifier. Only ask in the, in the context of one thing. He, he just says, ask. And as we grow and as we understand the kingdom, what we pray for changes. Where I may ask for a raise, or I may ask for, for a big check to show up in the mail, or I may ask that all of a sudden I lose 20 pounds without changing my diet. As we mature and as we grow, we begin to ask for different things. But he still wants us to bring those things to him. And then last week, in many ways, the golden rule, oh, it's the biggest lullaby effect of all. Love others the way you want to be loved. And the way the world interprets that is, um, I want you to love me in the way that you say anything I want to do is fine. But that's not love. And on, on a day that we celebrate um, one half of a parenting team, you know parenting isn't that way. Now, the last thing we can do is give our kids everything they want because they don't yet know the world, right? They don't know some of the dangers that are out there, because we're protecting them from that. They don't know what it's like to know, do I have enough money for my next meal yet? 
I mean, maybe they do. Maybe your family's in that situation. If it is, I want you to come talk to me because we don't want you in that situation. But they don't know what it's like to have to choose between something you want and being able to put food in your mouth yet. Or, or how am I going to act at my job when my job treats me so poorly? Maybe they're starting to learn that depending on how they're working as a teenager. But there's a lot of things they haven't learned yet. And so we don't just give our kids everything they want. And sometimes when we do that, we, it takes us a long time to undo that, doesn't it? The golden rule is so massively powerful because it strings together love for God, love for others, and love for ourselves. And it's something we have to understand in the context of what love actually is. What I want to do is I want to tag on to the very end of what she shared because really the next, we we only have two more weeks, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you may be like, I'm ready to move on. Um, I'm not. I'm not ready to move on. In some ways, I like to start back over week one and let's just do that again. But um, we only have two more weeks after today. And really, these last thoughts can all be strung together, but I wanted to break them up and give them each their due. Um, but I do want to clip on to the very end of what Tracy shared um, last week with the very next couple of verses. It starts in John chapter 10, um, verse 7. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10. I'm jumping ahead. I was going to say, that's not the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I'm not going to rehash what Tracy shared last week. You can go back. I think she did a great job talking about the imagery and the language. And a lot of this imagery of the narrow way and the wide way um, we take out of context because we don't recognize what the intent behind this was. Um, But she did a great job talking about the way, not just as this narrow way that you better cross all your T's and dot all your I's or you're in the Broadway going to hell. But instead, it's the idea of you're entering into a way of life that at times feels constricting, kind of pushes in on really all sides. And that this language is very much birth language that we see throughout Scripture about coming into the kingdom. How does one enter into the kingdom? Jesus says, by being born again. We see this imagery over and over and over again. And so this imagery of the wide and narrow gate is the imagery of entering into a way of life that at times is pushing in, is given a very deliberate place to go. There's no real, let's move around here and there. I mean, this is the way. And that constriction I found is sometimes God saying, whoa, 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 there's a lot of health, unhealth around you. Stay here on the healthy path. There's certainly that. But I also find that when you choose to follow this path, the rest of the world closes in on you. They tend to want to squeeze you out. They want you to go one way or the other. And what, whether we're talking about um, politics or life or relationships, 
uh, we are usually given one of two choices. You either do this or you do that. In politics, it's this party or that party. In relationships, you're going to choose between this group and that group. And we're constantly given these two choices and both groups want us to, to make that choice and reject the other choice. And Jesus often is the one saying, no, there is a third choice. But when you choose the third choice, the other two groups aren't going to be happy with you because they want you to choose theirs. It's one of the reasons we are very apolitical here in the sense that we don't talk about candidates and we don't say this is who you should vote for. We don't provide voter cards that are positive to one side and negative to the other as you walk into worship because we believe the kingdom is very much, that is our birthplace. That is where we are returning to. That is our nation. And while we have a role and a place in this nation as voters and as citizens, here when we come together as the church, it is our purpose to be in the mind of the kingdom. And what I have found is, is that what ends up happening is if you choose that way, the other ways don't like you. You're rejected by the other ways. This is often the way of following Jesus and going through that narrow way and this constriction. I love that she shared last week that it's the idea of going single file as well. We have someone that we are following. We have someone that is leading. And that one is Jesus. Jesus says, I am what? You finish it. You know it. You know this to be true. It doesn't always feel true because of all the voices in our heads and in our our cars and on our phones. But you know this to be true. John chapter 10, what I was going to read just a minute ago, says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life For the sheep, and if we jump down to verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I mean, this is it in a nutshell. I mean, this is, when I think about what does it mean to follow Jesus, it really is as simple as following Jesus. We make it about a lot of other things. We make it about believing the right things and saying the right things and going to the right church and singing the right songs. And, and sometimes in my, in my past, it was having the right color carpet or the right color choir robes. We, we literally, first church I ever pastored, almost had a, a church split over the color of the hymn books. I, I just, I, I heard it happen, but when I, I, f- I finally experienced it for myself, I was like, what, in, what is going on here? We make it about all these other things, but Jesus is saying, hey, there's a way, and you can follow me, and when you follow me, I am with you, and this is the way of life. So all of the Sermon on the Mount is not so that you can cross all your T's and dot all your I's, and you can say, I'm good and I'm in. It's simply to say this, if you want to be a part of this kingdom that you've been looking for, what he was saying to the Jews about their hope for a Messiah, this is what it looks like. It looks like being poor in spirit, not fitting in, not being on top. It looks like being persecuted because you're not picking their side. 
It looks like being meek, even though you have the ability to step in and you have a strength that you could impose on someone else, you choose to control it and step back and not try to make somebody do what you want simply because of your imposing force. That's what the kingdom looks like. The kingdom looks like when somebody does something, I don't mean like, like they irritate you. I mean, they really tick you off. Like, and, and anyone else would have just laid into them. But the kingdom says, I see you, and I see the reason you did that. Something else is happening in you, and so I'm going to love you, even though I, there's a part of me that really wants to just, you know, <clears throat> right in the side of the face. That's what I really want to do. But I recognize there's a struggle going on in you too, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to choose to love you instead. That's the kingdom. Now, there are a lot of people that don't like that kingdom. And if the truth be told, there are a lot of people who go to church that don't like that kingdom. But that is the kingdom. The kingdom that says, I look for ways to add to your life, not just to the ways that you can add to mine. I look to be there for you, not just for you to be there for me. It's my part and parcel of life to be a part of us, not just me. As we looked at Jesus talking about prayer and fasting, and He said, keep the community in mind when you're doing these things. And when you pray, pray as a community. Pray that you would meet our needs, that we would have our daily bread, not just that you would. Jesus is always saying, part of heaven on earth is not the lack of hard things on earth, Heaven on earth is when you get what it looks like to live in the kingdom here in this place. And you forgive each other quickly. And you don't hold grudges against each other. And when someone hurts you, you're not looking to pay them back for it. Man, that sounds like a pretty good community of people to me. And the church is not always defined by that. Sometimes we're defined by the ways we hurt people. There's a narrow way. And Jesus says, I am the way. What he's also saying as he talks about these um, false teachers is this idea that this kingdom that you can have that is really beautiful and it's, it's inspiring and it's life-giving and it's just good. There are a million distractions that are going to try to get you off track. There's always going to be somebody who says, you know, if somebody did that to me, I wouldn't have let them get, get away with it. There's always going to be that person. And then you're going to be like, well, I don't want to look weak. I'm not going to let them get away with it. There's a million distractions out there. He labels those distractions as false teachers, but what what I find interesting is the way he talks about them, where we don't just put them on on a spike and we crucify them. He actually doesn't, he says don't follow them. But what's interesting is he talks about them in in the context of a tree and their fruit. And, And he says a diseased tree cannot create good fruit. He's not saying that the false teacher is all bad. They're the image of God, just like you are. But there's a disease that has entered into their life, and so now their agenda has changed. Their agenda is for themselves. Their agenda is to use you for whatever they want. And the way that you figure out who those people are is you figure out, well, what do they do at the end of the day? And how, do, how what is the fruit of their actions and the fruit of their lives? Are they self-giving or are they always taking? Is it something that's about their agenda or is it about God's agenda? But what I find fascinating 
I never really stopped to consider this until I started really looking at the um, whole of humanity through the image of God rather than just the brokenness of sin. Is that they are made in the image of God, made to partner with God, to co-labor with God, to, to manage and rule the world with God, but a disease has entered in. So we can hate the disease without hating the tree, right? Because if we could hate, if we were supposed to hate the false teachers, then don't we have to ignore what Jesus has just said about hating our brother? He said, "Don't hate your brother." Well, he's just talking about Christians, but there, you know, the reality is, is he's talking about humanity. Don't hate your brother, and don't hate the people. Who, don't hate Christians, but don't hate people who aren't Christians either. The path of least resistance usually leads to death. And when you understand the constricted, narrow way, and you understand that there are a million distractions trying to pull you somewhere else, if you take the path of least resistance, which means you don't push back, which means you don't discipline yourself, which means I just go with the flow, you're leading to a place of unhealth. You're walking away from the kingdom. You're asking for death within your own life or within your relationships. For those who are married in the room, you've got to be intentional about your spouse, don't you? Because sometimes they tick you off. Yeah, don't say yes too loud, all right? Don't say yes too loud. You know, I know you agree with me. So your spouse agrees with me too. That's the thing. They agree with me too. How do you stay married? You learn to be intentional. You learn to be intentional. How do you have long, lifelong relationships? You learn to be intentional with those relationships. How do you have a family relationship? What boggles my mind are the number of families today that when the kids graduate high school, uh, they will not spend time together as a family again. Boggles my mind how large that number is. I just assumed everybody hung together as a family because we do it. And we do it because we watched my parents do that with their parents and then with us. And now we do that with our kids. But it takes intentionality. When we do vacations, we typically do vacations with extended family because we want that for ourselves. We want that for them. And we want our kids to learn that. So that they'll take vacations with us. And then their kids will take vacations with them. You have to be intentional about the way you live your lives. There's a freedom that comes in Jesus, but freedom requires discipline to maintain. We celebrate Memorial Day or Veterans Day or Armed Forces Day, or any day that we talk about the military, it typically comes up that freedom isn't free. It's not free. And it doesn't stay free without intentionality. It takes intentionality to live a free life. Jesus is talking about intentionality in the context of there's a way, and it's a restrictive way. And a lot of people won't find it. Because honestly, a lot of people aren't looking for it. When you find it, that's a path to freedom. The path of least resistance is difficult. You won't get the job you want without discipline. 
You won't have the life you want without discipline. Your bank accounts won't look the way you want them to look without discipline. You don't accidentally accumulate wealth unless you're born into it. And most people who are born into it lose it before they're dead. It takes intentionality. You don't get better at sports without being intentional. Your marriages don't grow without being intentional. And your faith doesn't grow without being intentional. Jesus is talking about intentionality. We can't accidentally get there. We can accidentally find Jesus only because Jesus is actively looking for us. He is intentionally looking for us. He's going after that lost sheep. And then all of a sudden we look up and there he is. It's like, how did you find me? I've been looking for you. But we won't grow in that relationship with him just like we won't grow in our relationship with our friends or our spouse or our kids without intentionality. The path of least resistance as we talk about mothering and parenting in the room, peer pressure always comes up. And here's the response. Anytime an adult brings up peer pressure, every child thinks they don't get it. And every parent is hoping their kid will not fall into the wrong peer pressure. Because every one of us knows what happened when we did. There are a million distractions out there. If you just go with the flow, the flow typically leads to death. You have to be intentional about the life you want, about the friends you want, about, about following Jesus if Jesus is important to you. And that is not cannot be summed up in an hour and a half at church on Sunday. It's a 24-7 way of life. Freedom requires discipline. It requires discipline to guard against distraction, to take hard steps, to walk away from unhealthy things. We're in the world of social media, and you are controlled by your social media. You, don't, you may or may not know that, but you are controlled by your social media. Whatever you watch. We were talking about TikTok earlier this week. TikTok's endless scroll. I can, I can generally tell where your heart is in the world based on your TikTok feed. If you see a lot of inappropriate images on your TikTok feed, it's because you're looking at a lot of inappropriate stuff. You know what my TikTok feed looks like? It's like house building gone wrong. <laughs> I mean, I literally, this foundation's off, and this is why. It's the most boring thing ever, yet I'm glued. I'm like, that's so fascinating. That is so fascinating. If you have, I can't remember the name of it. I meant to, I meant to look up the name of it. It came out a few years ago talking about the, the um, Facebook algorithm. Social dilemma. Thank you, Don. Social dilemma and the conflict algorithm. If you're addicted to social media, you should just know this. They got you addicted. And many times they use conflict to do it because they know conflict hooks us. And so if you're like, why am I seeing this? I feel exactly opposite about that. Exactly. Now you're mad. And you're responding. And you're sharing. And you're telling all your friends who think like you do, can you believe these crazy people? It's the conflict algorithm, and it works, and it has made them billions and billions and billions of dollars. We're controlled by our social media. Interesting, I don't want, I'm not, I, I didn't bring this up. This whole Twitter deal with, with Elon Musk, I mean, part of that, super, I'm super excited about, because honestly, I'm just happy to see something different happen, right? You're just kind of happy that the system is upset, because that generally leads to some kind of change. Maybe it's positive, and maybe it's, 
negative, but um, the, the news has been saying, you know, we can't let one person control that because that, that controls how people think. I don't remember who posted it, but they say, yeah, the media has been trying to do that for years. They know how to manipulate us. And we fall into it. Those distractions many times consume us and move us, and we don't even believe it. But God, when he looks at us in those moments, you know, God is, we talk about God the Father, but you know, God is referred to as as a woman so many times in Scripture. As a woman and as a mother. And you think, oh, that's not my God. My God's a man. He's a manly man. (laughs) And then you realize... Like we, we are made in the image of God, meant to demonstrate the image of God together, not separately. So it's not like the men got all the image of God. It's like the men got some and the women got some, and when they come together, there's some more. Like we all represent him. But one of the places that I find so interesting is we find it in Hosea, and God is is, um, described as a protective mother. And this is a disturbing passage if you don't look deeper into what it's saying. But this is, this is a protective mother. And so we see so many pictures of God and Jesus that is just all love. And we could just be like one big hippie commune. I mean, there are people that think if we really understood God as love, we'd be one big hippie commune. And I mean, we got some hippies in the room. So you guys have fully embraced that. But, but then we have these alternative images of God. This is in Hosea, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 4. He says, he says, he's talking, let me give you some back, background. He's talking to the nation of Israel after they have walked away from him. Now, you can read this in one of, let me read it, and then I'm going to tell you the two ways you can read it. This is Hosea, chapter 13, verse 4. It says, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is... It was I who knew you in the wilderness and the land of the drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. And you want to say, God, that's not very loving. (laughs) That doesn't feel very loving. The idea of a protective mother of that mama bear. That's God. That's where it comes from. This is where the idea of mama bear comes from. And if we think we came up with that as a a, a popular marketing slogan, like they were saying this a long time ago, Jesus is just grabbing on to what they've already been saying about bears. If you've ever been hiking or backpacking, I remember um, a couple of experiences I've had with bears, and I remember we were backpacking, we were out in the middle of nowhere. I don't, I don't know, we were like on day three of a five-day trip, and all of a sudden we saw this rustling of this bush next to us, which if you do much, spend much time in the woods, you know that is a cause, that's like an alarm bell going off. When a bush is rustling and you don't know why it's rustling, it's time to stop and consider your life. <laughs> and a little bear cub shot across the trail. So we were hot-footing it backwards. 
getting back as quick as we could because we knew what happens once a, a, a bear goes across the trail in front of you. You're now between that bear cub and its mama. And mamas don't put up with crazy hikers. And it wasn't, it wasn't 30 seconds later and big old mama bear comes lumbering across the trail. Thank goodness we weren't between her and her cub. One time we went to Cades Cove as a family. We often like to go driving Cades Cove. You've got to go at the right time, otherwise it's a miserable experience. And if you're going to go ride your bikes, if you're not going at like 3 in the morning, you probably ought not ride a bike because you might get run over. But we came out to one of the overlook areas, and there was a big crowd. And what do you do when there's a big crowd like out in the middle of nowhere? You join them, right? That's what you do. You join the crowd. I mean, I don't know what else you're supposed to do. Like, huh, drive on? No, it's like, we got to stop. Something's happening. And so we pull over and we stop and, and look up and there's a cub in a tree. So it's like, oh, back in the car. Back in the car. And the number of people at the base of the tree taking pictures of the cub, I'm like, kids, you're about to see something not many people see in their life. You're about to see a, a stupid tourist get eaten by a bear. And so we're going to sit right here in the car. You don't get between a mama bear and her cub. This is how God portrays himself for you. Now what's interesting is this doesn't seem, it seems like he's like, this is bad. Like I'm looking to kill you. Like he's really mad, but that's not really what the imagery is trying to show us. So we have two images here of two different you know, carnivorous, ferocious animals. We have a lion who's just lurking. And if you've seen, you know, watch National Geographic or, I mean, some of you may have been on safari. I've never been on safari. I kind of feel about safari the way I do about getting at the base of a tree looking at a cub. Like, I'm just saying, here's a big bow around your appetizer. I don't want to necessarily do that. But if you ever watch them, they just, they lurk and they just, they just look and they're walking and they're looking just like they're waiting for that right moment to pout. And God says, that's me, because you have walked away from me because I want you back. And just like those false prophets who are good, they're the image of God. They are, they are loved. A disease has entered into them and corrupted them. God was looking at the nation of Israel saying, I love you, you are my image. I'm going to redeem the world through you, but you have allowed a disease to come in. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to bring you back. I'm like a mama who's watching their cubs go away and the enemy is working on them and the distractions are all around them and I am ready to pounce because I love you. What a picture of a mom. This is the way moms love. Moms and dads love differently. I could... I don't have time to talk about that, but you know, you know it's true. Moms at times wonder if dads actually love their kids, right? But we do. We just like to have a little fun with them from time to time. But what a picture of a mom. Moms get all kinds of rewards early on, don't they? I mean, they're hungry. They want mom. They're sad. They want mom. They're, anything happens, they want mom. Dad's like, you're just, I don't even know why you're here. Where's mom? You know, it's just, you've got nothing to offer me. Your job's been done. You've got nothing to offer me. I want my mom. Then someone hurts your kid, and you understand, Mama Bear, because you're about to hurt them. You understand that love, that ferociousness, that defensiveness, that I love you, and I won't let anybody hurt you. Mom is 
take a good amount of grief. My mom took a good amount of grief over me. Conflict over the years. Disagreements. As you get older, you begin to love mom a little more, understand him a little differently. And then when you have your own kids, the whole world changes and you understand mom and dad were a lot smarter than I thought they were. So what is Jesus saying? I'm going to sum this up really quickly. What is Jesus saying in all of this? He's saying it's really easy to get distracted from this kingdom and miss out on all these great relationships and this way of living life that is good and it brings a lot of joy and you are in a community of people that you love and they love you and you help each other and you celebrate together and you mourn together and you're just there with the... They are your best friends. They are the best friends that are even possible. They're there, a part of you. You screw up. They welcome you back. You say something you shouldn't have. They forgive you. You don't have enough to eat. They take from what they have so you have enough to eat. Man, it's just the best ever. But it's so easy to get distracted. And when we get distracted, we lose it. And then we get mad and we get selfish. And we forget how important they are. He's also saying that the path to life is very, very specific. It's through Jesus. There's no other way. This is also that constricting way because... The world doesn't like that. It's fine for Jesus to be a way, but not the way. There's got to be other ways. And Jesus said, but there's not other ways. There's only this way. If you try to do it another way, if you try to do this with other ideals, then you'll miss the kingdom completely. And so, yeah, there's just one way to this kingdom I'm talking about, and it's not going to happen any other way. Jesus is also saying that false prophets pretend to follow Jesus, but they have their own agenda. And you'll be able to tell them by the fruit within their lives. And ultimately, false prophets are worthy of compassion, but not allegiance. We have compassion because they're diseased. We have compassion because they've missed it. We have compassion because they're not a part of the kingdom. We have compassion because they are the image of God who is corrupted. They have their own agenda and we will not follow them. The only way we'll know that fruit and the only way we'll be able to stay on that path is if we know the way ourselves. We won't accidentally get there. The gate is narrow. Many won't find it. Finally, the kingdom is beautiful and full of life. If you want to experience it now and eternally, you must be intentional about who you follow and how you follow. We won't accidentally get there. We're thankful for our moms. Our moms guide us. You had the opportunity as a mother to guide in this way or to guide in some other way. The way you guide matters, and in many ways, no one on this planet can guide the way you guide. May we all be guiding each other to the true kingdom and not be false prophets ourselves. Father, I thank you that even when we make mistakes, even when we buy in to bad ideas, you are there, you are faithful, you are patient, you love us. Father, I pray that you would, you would help us to see fruit for what it is, and the moments that we don't feel confident in the way, we're not even sure we're on the way. 
Father, I pray that you would just give us clarity and discernment, wisdom. Pray for those today and they wish they still had a mama bear in their life, but mama bear passed away a long time ago. Or maybe not very long ago. And they're grieving and mourning. Oh, I pray this would be a day of beautiful memories to celebrate what was and to recognize this is, this is the way life goes. We'll all do this at some point. But we can celebrate and we can love and we can remember and we can continue their legacy in our own lives. I pray for those today who, are, who want to be a, a mother. They're trying to be a mother. And it just hasn't happened the way they want it to. God, you have gifted them. And they have a place in this world. They have a, they have a life to offer. They have care to offer a child. And I pray, pray that you would bring a child into their life, whether it be through childbirth or through adoption or fostering or I don't know. God, I pray that you would hear their prayers. And you would allow them to follow this path that you set for each of us, that we would all at one point be able to help fill the earth. Pray for those who feel like they're doing it wrong, which is probably every mother in here. For every dad who feels like he's doing it wrong, which is probably every dad in here. Oh, I'm thankful for your faithfulness and your patience with us. I pray not only for discernment for these moms and dads and for myself, but I pray for the confidence that even in our struggle, you are working and you are drawing and you are doing something good. Father, I thank you that your love and your character that we see in in all of the moms around us, I, I thank you that that's who you are too because they got it from you. So we thank you for the gift of mothers today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.